0: Good morning. I'm going to invite you to find your seats. I want to welcome you to Restoration. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good for us to be together this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, where we've slowly kind of progressed over the last few months looking into the story of the church. As you looked at um, how God has beautifully orchestrated through suffering, but also through the joys of being able to see the gospel, not just start in Jerusalem, but make its way. And last week we looked at how it went to Europe for the first time ever. We're going to hit pause actually after today, and we'll look at the book of Ruth for a four-part series, then actually go into a vision series, and then come back in the fall to Paul's third and last missionary journey, where he ends up to find himself in Rome, where he awaits his impending death. And that's where it ends in Acts chapter 28. So we'll finish that uh, in, in the fall as we go into Advent. So it's just crazy. We're already into August. But last week I said we went into Europe, or Paul, and Silas go into Europe. Well, after they spend time in Philippi, they make their way to Thessalonica to plant a church, then to Berea, and then here we find them come to Athens, or not them, but Paul specifically. And so that's where the story picks up in his second missionary journey, towards the end of that journey, and we see his time in the Areopagus in Athens. So I'm gonna invite Ashley as she's already ready to go. And so she's gonna read Acts chapter seventeen, or chapter seventeen, verses sixteen to thirty-four. So let's give attention to God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ashley. She's also one of our college students and heading probably back to college soon. So, um, but as we go into God's word, let's let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are not unknown, but that you have revealed yourself to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, transform us so that the gospel that we hear, that we live out or may not only change us but change those that you have placed us with we pray all of these things in Jesus name amen as we've been, as we've been in the book of acts what i don't want us to miss is the importance of evangelism and how that has been such an important part to the story of the church that as we looked at even from acts 1 where jesus as Before he ascends, what are his words? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth. All the way from chapter 1 to last week in chapter 16, where Paul, in Philippi, shares the gospel with Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman, with a slave girl, and lastly, this jailer. Throughout this book, we've seen how in the story of the church, it is the sharing of the gospel evangelism that has been at the heart of the growth and why we can sit here today being transformed by the gospel because of those that have shared it and passed it down to us. Well, I know when we hear about evangelism and sharing the gospel, there are barriers that come with that, right? Right? For some of us, it's methodologies. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share it. And so you think, well, because I don't know what to do or how to say it or even answer questions that some of my neighbors or friends have or students have in colleges or in your high schools, you don't know what to say, so I'll just leave it to other people to do it who are better. might not just be methodologies, but for others it might be insecurities like you just feel like you are not good at it and you're insecure about how people will respond to you when they know that you're a christian you don't know how people might respond to you when you actually try to share the gospel with others you might think that you're not good enough or maybe for some of us the insecurities are that i haven't been a good example to my family or to my co-workers or to my friends at school. There's methodologies, insecurities, but I think also cultural sensitivities, right? For some of us, it's to share the gospel is bigoted. We're archaic in thinking that there was a Jesus who was God and was risen from the grave. We're supposed to be a tolerant culture, And so to project my views and and say that this is the only way is actually wrong. And so what do we do? We keep it to ourselves. We keep the things in our lives private and keep it away from the public sphere. And I'm sure there's many other barriers that we have when we think about evangelism and sharing the gospel. But while these barriers are real, I do think we have to take a step back and recognize the fact that all too often the focus is about myself. And here what we fail to recognize is that what we really need to be thinking about is that our theology is what informs our methodology. Right? It's not about my insecurities. It's not about the cultural sensitivities. It's not about methodologies but rather, it's what we believe about God and who He is that then informs how we share the gospel with others. And here in in Acts seventeen, what we see is the probably the quintessential example of how to share the gospel. If you've been in the church long enough, and maybe you maybe went to other churches, or you've gone to. Conferences about missions and evangelism, many will use this passage to be able to show us step by step the methodologies of how to share the gospel. Look around and walk around and do prayer walks. Identify the idols of your culture, like Paul did. Quote from their people and what they're reading, as we just heard from Paul. And then share the gospel where their culture and their gods fail. These are the methodologies that we can pour into as we look at Acts 17. But when I've studied and looked at this passage this week, I'm beginning to see that it wasn't methodologies that informed Paul to be able to share the gospel. It was his theology. It was who he knew about God and who he was that then allowed him to be able to share the gospel effectively. Not always, not always productively or with great results, but he was able to share the gospel with wisdom. And I think that's what we need to see here. That what we believe about God would move us then to share the gospel with others. So what are the things we need to be able to see here about who God is? What does our theology tell us? And what does the scripture tell us about who God is so that we might be freed to be able to share despite lack of methodologies or our insecurities or the sensitivities of our culture. So first, let's, the first thing we see here is that when we read this passage, we see that God is the God of the mundane. God is the God of the mundane. Right away, when you look at verse 16, what does it open with in Luke's account? Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens. Now, who's them? Well, them is his partners, Paul or Silas and Timothy. Now they were just in Berea, and and as usual, there was all this persecution that was happening to them. And so they immediately send Paul out and send him away. And where, where does he find himself? He finds himself in Athens, just waiting for Silas and Timothy to come meet him so that what? They could go to chapter 18. Where? In Corinth. His intent was never to be in Athens. His missionary journey and where he was set on was to go to Corinth. But what happens? He finds himself waiting in Athens for his friends and his partners to be able to make their way to Corinth. And so what does he do while he's waiting? He begins to reason. He begins in chapter, or verse 23, as he talks to the people of Athenia, he says, or Athens, he says, While I was passing along, I was, while I was reasoning or speaking, you see, these verbs, these, what they are are participles, and we won't get into that, but none of this was his own intention. None of this was his own plans. None of this was his plans. They just happened. It was never his intent or action. He was never planning to be there, but rather in the mundane, in the ordinary, he finds himself there and he begins to share the gospel. This is the way God works. He is the God of the mundane. He's a God of the ordinary. Paul shares the gospel without planning and scheduling. He's in a city that he's never scheduled to plant a church in. and But what does he do? He finds himself in the mundane and ordinary, and he begins to take a stroll. He begins to sh- share the gospel and speak and preach. As one pastor actually in Athens puts it, he says, God uses ordinary people using ordinary things with gospel intentionality. That's what evangelism is. God using ordinary people, doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. There was a few years back when my grandmother was near, near her death. And I immediately flew out to San Jose, and I wanted to spend some time with her, to pray for her, and to say my goodbyes with her. But I got there the night before. And so I had nothing to do there. I was just waiting waiting for the next morning to be able to visit my grandmother in the ICU. So I had nothing to do, but my plan and intention was definitely to go to In-N-Out. You know, the first thing you do in San Jose or anywhere in California is you got to make your way to In-N-Out. So I went to In-N-Out, and I just sat there. And while I was waiting to get to my hotel, it was packed in there as it always is, and these two gentlemen asked if they could sit where I was because I was just by myself and it was a four four top. And so they sat down and as we were just eating, I found myself sharing the gospel with them. It was just through conversation while speaking or reasoning. The the gospel was shared. Now, neither of them came to faith, but one of them was like, man, I, I remember as a kid going to church and I've never thought about it, but in such a city like this where I am lonely, I should maybe visit a church and look for a church around here. It was while in the mundane, ordinary means where there was no intention of sharing the gospel or evangelism, the God of the mundane and ordinary allowed for these opportunities to happen. You see, it's the God of the ordinary has never been about how productive we are or how efficient we are with our time. When we do that, we end up focusing all on ourselves and often end up ignoring our community. And we end up ignoring God because we have an agenda. We have things to do. But you see, God cares about fruitfulness and not about productivity. That's one of the things we, we've seen, even in this book study, as some of you have been a part of productivity does not equal fruitfulness and when we understand that God is the God of the mundane we actually are able to open up our eyes and see opportunities to do so see there's nothing wrong with plans but if we truly believe God works in the mundane we need to leave space we need to leave margins for interruptions and God to bring people to faith because it's only then we're able to see God at work and not, so, and not be so preoccupied with ourselves. That's the first thing we see as we think about our theology informing our methodology. God is the God of the mundane and ordinary. But secondly, we see in our theology that God is the God of the agora. Now you're going, what is the agora? Dan, you never use the Greek and all that. Well, the Agora is simply the marketplace. Now, when you think about a shopping center you know, or a marketplace, you think about maybe this weekend being tax-free weekend, and so you're hitting all the shopping centers to buy your clothes so that you could save on tax or whatnot. But back in this time, the Agora or the marketplace was not just a place for shopping. It was a place for temples. It was the concert halls. It was the gymnasiums, it was the place for theaters, it was the place for libraries, courts, and shopping centers. It was a place where all of public life came together to share ideas about art, politics, religion, education, philosophy, and commerce. In essence, or in other words, the Agora was the cultural center of life. It was the public square. And what we see here with Paul is that the gospel of Jesus isn't just for the synagogues. He begins in the synagogues always, right? That was actually part of his methodology. He would go to the Jews. He would go into the synagogues to teach and preach. But here, as we see, as often he does, he also takes it to the agoras. To the cultural centers, the public spheres of life. God is the God of the Agora. Meaning, we don't just leave the gospel in our private spheres of life. The gospel is to be shared and is meant to be discussed and lived out in our marketplaces, in the cultural centers. So, as we think about our next gen ministry, what does that mean, students and college students? It means taking the gospel to your schools and to your universities. For us who work, to your workplaces, to the hospitals, to your neighbors, to the coffee shops, to In-N-Out, or even to Sam's Club, if you remember Jason's story, as he sat there waiting for his tires to be changed. God is the God of the agora. It's never meant to be kept in the public spheres of life. And some of us are even here because God is the God of the agora. People have shared the gospel with you. There were people who were instrumental in how you came to faith. It was because they didn't keep it private. but Because God is one who cares about the places in the public sphere, we also should care and bring it to those places. Tim Keller, who passed away recently in New York, he said this about this passage. He said, here's the principle. If you understand the gospel and if you live consistently with it, it will not stay in your private world. It will not stay in your worship services. It will not stay on Sunday only. If you understand the gospel and you live in accordance with the gospel, the gospel itself will affect the way you live in every area of your life, including and especially your public life, your life in the public square. So what that means for us is that we do that not by yourself, right? That can feel overwhelming, like it's me against my entire neighborhood. No, it's we do this together. What does it look like for community groups to be able to invite your neighbor so that we as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, share in the burden and the compassion and love that we have for our students? Our classmates, our neighbors, and our co-workers. We do this together. You're never called to do this alone, but to share and bring those compartmentalized places of life. Your church friends, and then you got your work friends, your Christian friends, and your non-Christian friends. Now we bring those together as we share life with one another. You see, God is the God of the Agora. But lastly, we see that God is the God of the resurrection. Is there anything more important than the God of the mundane or the agora? It would be this. Because as Paul shares about the resurrection of Jesus, everything changes in this story. It's like we see the movement, we see how things should actually unfold, but right when he shares the gospel, it all changes. And I think we need to hear this for ourselves because as we think about the barriers we have, right the insecurities the rejection not having all the answers to the questions people ask we might feel like a failure we might feel like we haven't loved those in our own lives we need to remember this that g that god is the god of the resurrection now what we see here is as paul is just strolling around the city And as he's conversing and sharing the gospel, he sees a city full of idols. And when the passage says that it is a city full of idols, it's not an exaggeration. Luke is not exaggerating. Some estimate there were about like 10,000 people in Athens. Do you know how many idols that they estimated were in Athens? (laughs) 30,000. There were more idols than there were people. And so you you can imagine Paul strolling around in Athens, and there's just idols all over. And what does Luke say? Paul was provoked. Something stirred in his heart as he strolled around, looking at the things that the people cared about in Athens. And he begins to engage them, right? In the mundane and ordinary, he's beginning to ask questions, listen, listen. And he's sharing and he's speaking and dialoguing and conversing. And then he's invited into the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. And as he's standing in the Areopagus with the Acropolis just in the distance, he begins to share the gospel. But he does it in a very winsome way. He affirms them of their desire to worship and know God, evidenced by all of the idols. He affirms them of their hunger for knowledge, as the people of Athens were. And then he begins to build these bridges by saying that the God that they worship is not unknown, but he's actually known. You're right there, but you don't see it. Through the gospel of Jesus, the unknown God becomes known because he has made himself known through Jesus. And and they're listening. They're intrigued. They're tickled in their minds and ears. But then he shares about how Jesus died and he rose again from the dead. And that's where it ends, full stop. Because what do we read in verse 33? So Paul went out from their midst. Now what's fascinating about how Luke recounts, uh, recounts this is that This is different from all the other missionary journeys he's been on. In every other mission or city that he's been and where he's planted churches, what is is usually the case? He's a center of attention, right? Whether it's because of popularity or, or because he's infamous, they're angry. They're provoked. And what do they do? They're usually persecuting him. They're stoning him. They're beating him with rods. They're carrying him out of the city to leave him for dead. But what do we see about this account in Athens? He's just insignificant. They just just think, "Oh okay, whatever." The restaurant eh, let's just move on. Let's, let's, let's just ignore him, right? He's, he's just totally ignored. Yesterday, I was over at a neighbor's house and we were having dinner, and I started talking with these group of friends and neighbors, And, and as we were talking, and as I was starting to talk, I realized... No one was listening to me, (laughs) right? And like in that moment, you have a few options. You could just keep on talking and pretend like they're listening and hope maybe someone actually turns to you. Or you just slowly kind of quiet down and you pretend it never happened and you just join their conversation, right? I mean, you have a few things to do there, but in either way, you feel stupid. (laughs) Like I felt like an idiot. I felt like insignificant and, and and I felt that existential crisis like, Do I even matter? (laughs) Paul is asking the same question. Do I even matter? Does the gospel even matter? They have just brushed him aside and they've completely ignored him. He is left in a cloud of insignificance. What's the point? It's in these moments our theology matters. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about what you said or what you didn't say. What you know or don't know. It doesn't matter how idiotic you sound. God brings dead things to life. He is the God of the resurrection. Do you believe that? When people scoff and mock and ridicule, we have to hang on to the God who raises people from the dead. Who takes dead hearts, hard hearts, and makes them into flesh. Do we believe that God is the God of the resurrection, that it's not about us, As you've seen, it's it's about the Holy Spirit's work. And He will bring people from death to life in His perfect timing. And so our call then, we believe that God is the God of the resurrection, is to share the good news of Jesus. When our theology informs our methodologies of evangelism, that God is the God of the ordinary and the mundane, that God is the God of the agora that he's the God of the resurrection, then we can actually share the gospel as we depend on the Holy Spirit's work. And where I want to close this morning is a beautiful imagination of how Paul would speak to the university. As with its next-gen Sunday spotlight, and as we've prayed for them, and as we send off these students back to college or for the first time to college, how would Paul speak at the Areopagus to students at the university. And let this stir your own hearts and imaginations as you think about, maybe it is your classmates or your coworkers, or your neighbors or your family members. The, beauty, the beautiful opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus. This is with Daniel Dank, a, a PCA pastor, but also very involved with IV in Eastern Europe and the U.S. This is how he imagines it. Men and women of the university, I see that in every way you are very religious. As I walked around the university, I observed carefully your objects of worship. I saw your altar called the stadium, where many of you worship the sports deity. I saw the science building, where many place their faith for the salvation of mankind. I found an altar to the fine arts, where artistic expression and performance seemed to reign supreme without subservience to any greater power. I walked around through your residence halls and observed your sex goddess posters and beer can pyramids. Yet as I walked with some of you and saw the emptiness in your eyes and sensed the aching in your hearts, I perceived that in your heart is yet another altar, an altar to the unknown God who you suspect may be there. You have a sense that there is something more than these humanistic and self-indulgent gods. What you long for is something unknown. I want to declare to you now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not unknown, but that you have made yourself known to us. That you have made yourself known to be the God of the mundane, that you are the God of the agora, and that, Lord, you are the God of the resurrection. So Lord, help that inform our hearts and our minds and transform us and give us the passion and the burden and love to be able to then go out with our inadequacies, our weaknesses, our insecurities, and even with the cultural sensitivities of our time. Be able to share the beautiful good news that Jesus is not dead, but that you are alive. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.